Well, the sermon outline this morning is found on pages 10 and 11 in the bulletin. And it is the third in our series on the work of the Spirit related to the gifts that are ours in Him. In the first couple of weeks, we've looked at passages that have to do with the basics of the gifts of the Spirit. That is to say, there is a lot of diversity within the body, but there is unity as well. And the gifts are given to express the diversity, but also to bring us together. Nevertheless, there's a danger there that the gifts, different gifts might lead to different conclusions and the hand and the foot not seeing things the same and therefore differences and divisions arising. So we are all brought together by our connection to Christ and our faith in Him. We have a real, invisible, and organic union. All of us together are connected whether we know each other well or not, or whether we've intended to that for, for that to happen, it's nevertheless true. And we've talked about the gifts of the Spirit in other ways, and this morning we want to come to the specifics of what they are. And as we do, I would just quote several passages for you to look at. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4, all contain various partial lists here. And we will be going down through those lists in just a few moments and looking at the specific needs and specific gifts of each one. We have said also that the gifts are ours because of what Jesus has done. Jesus came and conquered sin and death. He ascended into heaven. He has given the righteous place at the right hand of the Father. And as a result, as a king would bring back spoils for more, so in Ephesians 4 tells us, Jesus brought back spoils from his victory, and those spoils are gifts which are given to you. We've also said that the world doesn't care about this stuff. If they care about Christianity at all, they care about our morality, some of our teachings. But the internals, the gifts of the Spirit that are reflected in the church are not of much interest. And if you're not a Christian this morning, then you haven't received the gifts of the Spirit that you would receive were you to become a Christian. Because every Christian has some gifts. No Christian has them all. Jesus was the only one to bring all the gifts together in one place. We have some, but not all. What are they? Well, we can look at that here for just a moment. But I want to say, first of all, that the, this listing here is not exhaustive. We will go all the way down through here and not see any reference, for example, to the gift of prayer. Now, while it's true that we're all supposed to pray, none of us would doubt that some people have a special burden and gift for this area. And it's not even listed. So the listing here, the taxonomy of the spiritual gifts is... Not complete, but it is virtually so. I mean, the, most of them are contained here. And what you have before you is a, is a distribution of them into three clusters. This isn't the distribution that the Bible makes. They are scattered across more or less randomly, it seems. But we have gathered them together in three clusters. Now, sometimes when people write and preach on the spiritual gifts, they divide them into two clusters. The speaking gifts and the serving gifts. But I like this division better. I think it's more complete. And you will find yourself in one or the other primarily, usually. Usually your inclinations and your gifts will follow one of these three major areas, which are also the three major areas of the work of Christ. He is our prophet. 
He is our priest, and he is our king, and he has distributed to us these gifts accordingly as we look at them now together. First of all, the prophetic gifts. And I have not included the specific references as to where you find these. I, I, I think it's a good exercise for you to look these up yourself and maybe even go to a commentary or go to some place where they will give you a deeper in, insight into what each one of these means. The prophetic gifts, first of all, include exhortation, encouragement, and counseling. If you have this gift, people who talk to you are helped. Spiritually as well as otherwise, you have an ability to speak words of encouragement, exhortation, and counseling to people, and, and they will respond, they will improve, they will grow. Listed also is the gift of teaching, an ability to communicate spiritual truths in helpful ways. This is a spiritual gift primarily. Now you may be a teacher in another setting and may not have the spiritual gift of teaching. There is that distinction. But if you have the spiritual gift of teaching, you will be able to communicate spiritual truths in helpful ways. Sometimes to children, sometimes to teenagers, sometimes to retired folks, sometimes to people who are single, sometimes to people in the military, various places your gifts will be deployed and you will be called upon time and again to teach by the church. There's the gift of prophecy, which is to apply the Bible in a convicting and applicable way. The way Nathan spoke to David and said, thou art the man, you are responsible for the death of her husband. This is a gift which can be sometimes overused in terms of crushing people, but nevertheless, some have it, and if they do, they should use it as unto the Lord. There's the gift of pastoring, that is of shepherding, of maintaining responsibility for someone else's growth, of overseeing folks and looking after their spiritual welfare. There's the gift of evangelism, the ability to relate well to people outside the church. We're all called to be witnesses for Christ, but some have particularly strong gifts in this area and a burden. Remember we said last week that the application of these gifts usually begins with an inward burden, an inward desire, an inclination to go in that direction. If so, you're probably gifted there. There is further the gift of discernment, which is the ability to judge motives with a view to the weakness of our own hearts. Someone may have this gift. Many of you may have it. It is something that it should be used carefully because your insights, while they're very helpful, can also be disruptive if used with pride. And then finally, there's the missions gift, or the ability to do spiritual things cross-culturally, cross-linguistically. It's listed in, in Ephesians 3, a little bit outside of the range of the passages I gave you, but it's people like Paul who was raised to be speaking and acting primarily in Hebrew. He was well-trained and well-taught in the book of the Old Testament, and he was in no way interested in becoming a missionary. But when he became a Christian, he received this marvelous gift, which we have ever since benefited from, an ability to speak and act cross-culturally. 
he was not interested before. In fact, he wanted to narrow Judaism down to a smaller, smaller and smaller uh, manifestation, and then he finds himself taking Christianity across the whole known world. This is what gifts can do to you. They completely change your perspective and what you do within the context of the church. So these are the prophetic gifts, and uh, you, you may see yourself in some of these. Uh, you may see that you have been encouraged by other people to use some of them. They are of a teaching and speaking nature primarily, looking after the welfare of the church as well as reaching out to the world. Then there's a second cluster of gifts known as the priestly gifts in this arrangement. First of all, giving. The gift of giving. This is not the same thing as the gift of earning. You don't have to be rich to be able to give. It's not a question of amount. It's a question of inclination and giftedness. This is the ability to spot practical needs and meet them. It is generosity not necessarily out of abundance, but out of insightful kindness. Like the little boy with the loaves and the fish who said, here, take mine. He wasn't rich, presumably. He had just a little bit anyway. But there was a practical need. He was insightful and willing to give it. Jesus spotted his interest, and the people were fed. You may have that same gift. It may be financial, it may be personal, it may be in the form of writing notes and cards, it may be just a little generosity, a tiny token of affection and concern. Use it. Use it to great effect. Because God is a giver. He has given His only Son. And when we are givers, we imitate Him. We follow in His steps. Secondly, this gift of service, so-called, the ability to meet physical and material needs in a way that bears spiritual fruit. That's not just giving away our time and our energy and our money and our interest, but it's using it insightfully, carefully, to meet material needs that bears fruit. Serving with a purpose. Not just serving at the, at the, at the call of a need, but being able to really help, which is the next one too, helps. The ability to assist, to get, pe- get behind people, and to free them up. You like to help people. You want to help people. You're looking for ways to help people, to get behind them, to encourage them, to push them forward. There is also, related to this, Paul writes, the gift of mercy, the ability to love the unlovely and to alleviate sufferings of all kinds. The deacons express this for you, but they're not the only ones in the church with this gift. You can assist them and help them in various ways, showing mercy to the unlovely and alleviating sufferings of all kinds. Finally, hospitality, the ability to use your resources, whatever their size, to refresh people. You may not necessarily have a big home. You may not necessarily have a big uh, entertainment budget, but you find ways to delight people through your hospitality. You bring them maybe a gift of food, or in some way you express a welcome to them. Newcomers, people in the congregation, 
Let's go have lunch. Let's have some coffee. Let's get together. Hospitality. If you have that gift, it is, it is highly prized. People really appreciate it, and you should do what you can to express it. Finally, the kingly gifts, the last cluster in this passage, and uh, they have to do with, of course, leadership of one kind or another, and first of all, government. If you have the gift of governing and leading, then people will follow you. There are all kinds of leadership styles shown in the Bible and expressed in the culture. But the one thing that a leader has is followers. It may be because they're rah-rah forcing, uh, forceful in personality, or maybe because they're quiet and insightful and supportive and leading people in another way. But you can help get people to reach a goal together. Secondly, the gift of administration. This is not the captain, this is the helmsman. This isn't the one who sets the course, this is the one who gets the ship from A to B. The one who steers. Administration. Wisdom is also added to this. The ability to solve problems, to see through obstacles, on toward resolution. And finally, faith. The ability to set goals with tremendous insight and confidence. Now, this is a lot of material, and how do I know which are my gifts? Well, that's a longer answer, and we may indeed do a Sunday school class on it in just a few months, but at any rate, we want to think about it in this way. Which one of these three clusters attracts or sounds the most like you? Which one of these three clusters of gifts, not just one individual one, but which of these clusters are you most inclined to think that you have, that you have seen yourself and seen God using you along these lines? That's the place to start. And then I would say as you go into the, into the cluster, look at those specifically, look up the scripture references that are there, and begin to hone in more personally on those gifts which you very well may possess. You probably have a pretty good idea of which of these three clusters is you, is the gifts that God has given you. However, I would add this, and this isn't in the scriptures, this comes out of my experience. Almost all of you, if not all of you, have latent gifts in another cluster. God didn't just pigeonhole you and put you in one category or give you just one or two gifts in one of these clusters. In my experience, not only in my own life, but in congregations I've served, when people look at these things and think about these things, they begin to discover that they have gifts outside of the cluster, outside of the area that they are most known for and are most inclined to to assess themselves in you probably have gifts that you don't know about. And I'd like you to begin the discovery by hearing me when I say that. Almost certainly, you have gifts, spiritual gifts, gifts that your parents didn't see in you and that your schoolmates didn't see in you. You have spiritual gifts on this list outside of what you are presently exercising. Begin to think that way. 
Begin to ask the Lord to show you what else can I do? In my experience, again, when this happens and when we begin to discover these new gifts, a tremendous power comes as a result. Because have people sort of see you in a certain way. They see you as having certain talents and abilities that go into one of these clusters. But when they see you exercising a gift outside of the way they normally see you, they normally have experienced you, they say, that's God. That's God in their life. That's not their natural abilities and talents. That's something extra. That's something special. And it's extremely powerful. When someone known, for example, for their teaching and is a a great uh, leader and speaker actually also helps, for example, gets behind people, puts themselves in the lower place, instead of at the head of the class, in the lower place, a tremendous power comes from that. Now, I don't say don't do it just because of that. You have to do it based on giftedness. But you almost certainly have gifts that you are not using that are of a tremendously powerful nature that are outside of what you, how you normally see yourself, outside of how you ordinarily function in the body of Christ. If a hand doesn't just shake a hand but suddenly becomes more like an eye feeling and reaching. There's power in that. Look for, pray for, ask the Lord to show you, what am I not using? What have you given to me as a result of your resurrection and your victory over sin and death? What am I not using? It's on this list. It may be two or three or four things. Start looking. So don't you see that any effort to try to bring unity to the body of Christ by making everyone the same is heresy? Not only is the body of Christ described as the various parts of the physical body, but now we have a gift list that is completely varied and wide-ranging. And nobody's going to have the same blend of gifts. Not husband and wife, not brother and sister, not, not anyone. As they say, you probably have more than one spiritual gift. Ask God to show you how to discover them and to be good stewards of them. When you hear of an opportunity to serve and it's outside, here's a way to test it. When you hear of an opportunity to serve and it's outside of what you normally and easily can do, why not give it a try? Why not trust the Lord through it and, you know, maybe it won't go well. And maybe you'll say, well, I was right. I, was, I stepped out of my comfort zone. I stepped out of my gift mix. But you might find the opposite. In fact, many have. Now, I want to say a little bit about the charismatic gifts this morning because I know there are a lot of questions about that. The charismatic gifts in the New Testament and common parlance fall into three main areas. The so-called baptism of the Spirit, so-called continuing revelation, and healing. We hear some about this, not a lot in the Presbyterian Church. The baptism of the Spirit refers in most cases to in tongues and interpretation of tongues and, and is called a sign of being Spirit-filled. Continuing revelation 
has to do with messages from God that predict what will happen and or give wisdom or knowledge not currently given in the scripture. Predictive prophecy, in other words. And then healing, emphasis on the role of healing and miracles in the church today. Here again, you're getting the the bottom line of many years of study and experience on this subject as well and not going through all of the steps as to how I get there. Let me make these summary statements. Number one, we should ask for the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. The development of both the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Clearly the Scriptures call us to seek the Lord and in seeking Him we will receive the Spirit, a fuller manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, and we will begin to discover and develop and use our gifts. We should also seek a sense of assurance of the love of God, as in Romans 8.16, which says, The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But tongues is not necessarily a sign or an inevitable sign of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Power and assurance may come without the presence of tongues. We don't have to have tongues as the sealing ordinance of these things. And don't confuse further illumination or leading with revelation. It's very difficult to discern God's leading in a predictive way. We have a sense of it or an inclination, but that is not the same thing as prophetic revelation that so many have claimed. And when you pray to God for healing, as in James 5, God will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. You cannot command God to heal, nor would you want to. Healing operates within the framework of prayer. Jesus' prayer was denied at Gethsemane, and so was Paul's thorn in the flesh request. So it is not taught that healing comes from commanding God to make us well. If it was, Jesus and Paul would have been made well and would have avoided what they prayed for. But the Lord said no. So a long list of the gifts of the Spirit, and a few words about the charismatic gifts. Now, what do I do? This begins with prayer. It begins with seeking God who gives the gifts. What can I do? What should I do? How have you blessed me? Only Jesus had all the spiritual gifts. You have some. Use them. Seek them. He has given them to you. Everyone has gifts. You say, no, not me. There's none of that in the, in the scriptures. Everyone has some gifts. He has distributed them to his people. They are latent. They are obvious. They should be used for his glory. Seek them. Be surprised how much of the time we fail to even ask. Jesus says, you, ask not, you have not because you ask not. Indeed. Ask him, Lord, how would you use me spiritually, within your body. Secondly, give it a try. Give it a try. Look for me or some other one in the church and say, I'd like to try this. I'd like to be involved in this in a new way. I haven't done it before. Can you tell me about it? What should I do? Put, give feet to your prayers. As the Lord open your eyes, opens your eyes to what you might do, read the bulletin in itself as, as a sense of possible calling from God to involvement in using a gift that you didn't know you had. There's nothing more thrilling 
and to go through life serving the Lord and using the gifts he's given us. And there's nothing more wonderful than discovering something that we had we didn't know was there. You have some. Seek the Lord, and he will show them to you. And then finally, let me say, again, that all of you who are Christians have these gifts. If you're not a Christian, you don't have spiritual gifts because you don't have the Spirit. The Spirit will give you these gifts according to his discrimination. He is the author of them. They don't come from the church. So when you become a Christian, you get them from him directly. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to wait for someone to tell you what your gift is. You get them. He distributes them to you immediately so that it's part of the blessings of salvation and eternal life right now to be able to have these gifts and abilities and powers that we didn't have before. Finally, think about it in this way. This is how the Bible describes the church of Jesus Christ working. It works through the cross-fertilization, the interplay of spiritual gifts. Many of these, as you can see on here, are quite different. The gift of evangelism is very different than the gift of prayer. The gift of helps is very different than the gift of teaching. The gift of administration is very different than the gift of exhortation and counseling and encouragement. And in fact, many people with the gift of administration say, I don't, I don't have that other gift of counseling and encouragement. Maybe you do. Perhaps out in the world, those who are talented in the area of administration don't have the, also the gift of encouragement and counseling. But in the church, there's a different distribution. We're not talking about now just natural talents and abilities. We're talking about the work of the Spirit in and through His people to work out His purposes in the church and in their lives. These gifts, of course, also benefit others, but they supremely benefit us because we are then called and see ourselves as a part of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're sitting and thinking, I, can't, I must not have any gifts because spiritual gifts are the kind of gifts that the pastor has or that other people that I know in the church have, therefore I must not have any gifts, you're incorrect. The church is multifaceted, variegated, and rich, and because not everyone sees things as you do and not everyone has the same gifts and ability as you doesn't mean that what you have isn't valid and appropriate and important. For you remember we read in 1 Corinthians 12 that even the weaker parts are, not, are indispensable in the body of Christ. And you consider yourself and you assess, I don't have any of these gifts. Maybe, maybe I just have one and I haven't found what it is. That doesn't make you dispensable. That doesn't make you unimportant. In fact, it makes you more important that you might discover and enrich us all with those abilities. And let me say too, in this gift, for example, of giving, which I said is not the same thing as the ability to earn, this is one of those gifts that all of us ought to seek to manifest. Some more than others, but because he gave, we too can give. We can look for and spot and identify practical needs and we can meet them. 
I mentioned to you some weeks ago how often I was impressed by the fact that in pushing Gail around my wife during a time of her ankle injury, how many people saw the door before I did, opened the door before I got there with her, helped me out in some other way. Now, that by itself may not be a spiritual gift to use inside the church, but it was much appreciated. And the spiritual gifts that you have don't have to come out of an abundance of money and time and energy. They can come out of the insightful giving and purposeful kindness of each one of us. So it was with Jesus. When he saw our need, he came and he met it. And he calls us to call and walk in his steps, to follow him and obey him and trust him. Let us do so in his name. May we pray. These gifts, O Lord, that you have given us, we have so often neglected. Or we have taken credit for them and puffed ourselves up and said, I'm pretty good at that. And we have failed also to look for the latent gifts that you have given us and thereby wasted them like talents buried in the soil, unused, unspoken. Help us to discover by your hand what gifts you have given and help us to use those gifts for your glory and in your church, not for pride's sake, but for the benefit of others, the common good. For those who are here today and have not taken Christ as their Savior and do not have these gifts, may they receive them in addition to their trusting in Christ as their Savior. For he is the giver of all good gifts. He is the one who has given us himself at the cross and promises forgiveness for all who trust in him. So this day, Lord, we honor you and we thank you for your work inside the church. Build us up, we pray. Enable us to use these gifts with harmony and unity and joy. Through Christ our Lord we ask it. Amen.